G'day, I'm Ollie Laleve and welcome to GRDC In Conversation. We'd first like to acknowledge the traditional lands on which the podcast is produced. We've travelled to and spoken to people all across Southern Australia for this series and we'd like to pay our utmost respects to the First Nations Australians who have told stories on this land for thousands of years. This series is a GRDC investment that takes you behind the scenes as we sit down with some of the people shaping our grain industry, uncovering their journeys, learning more about their passions and the projects that are part of their everyday. We're uncovering Southern Australia's grain-growing regions, chatting with researchers, advisors, growers, advocates, and just about everyone in between. Today, I'm sitting down with Lou Floor. She's a mixed cropping and livestock farmer and she runs her enterprise alongside her parents and her partner. Family is a huge part of Lou's life, as you're going to hear She's super close with her siblings. One sister even runs a bakery which is taking the products from the farm straight into the bakehouse and direct to the consumer. Lou manages everything that's going on in the family business with three kids in tow. And one of the kids even went along to the GRDC boardroom meeting the day that we sat down and recorded this. And what I think is super cool about this is Lou's definitely one of the people you want in the room when you're making decisions and having discussions about where agriculture, and in this case, the grains industry should go. And when Lou says yes, she's absolutely in 100%. This conversation, we touch on the representation of women in the ag sector, what it's like being on the panel for the Southern GRDC and working alongside her family. And I tell you, if you need any tips, Lou's very own sister even sent her along with a loaf of bread, so I can highly recommend it if you're ever passing by. Let's jump in. I love to just check in with people and actually ask how they're going, but beyond, because if you say, how are you, people are like, yeah, good. Mm. Okay. Well, but if, if you were to say like physically and emotionally, you've got to rank yourself out of 10, mm. can't choose seven. <laughs> how would you rank yourself at the moment? For both. Mm. Okay. In, so yeah, physical number, mental number. Righto. Physical, I would say like a five and mental would be very similar because it's been... Um, yeah, a long harvest <laughs> and I'm reading a book called Burnout. So that's probably indicative of where I'm at. Yep. Yeah. No, it's just been a really long harvest and it's been, um, just a hard time with three kids. Cause that's, that's largely my job at the moment while I'm breastfeeding Ollie. Like it's, I can't really outsource that. So, um, yeah, very tired. I haven't got away for a holiday yet. So that's planning to do that at the end of Feb. Have you got one? Oh, end of Feb. Okay. Yeah, so it's, at least it's on the horizon. It's booked. Yeah, and like Andy, my partner, he's completely burnt out too. Like it's been four months of nonstop work, so that'll be really good. Have you tried introducing anything new during this time to help? I guess ease the the load, the burden. Yeah. Um, I have definitely, I've gone from asking for help, which can sometimes go like under the radar, to be like begging, like ringing my mother-in-law and saying. Like, Glenny, you've got, like, I need you to have the kids for two days because this is just too hard. <laughs> and how does it go? Because you're obviously very actively involved in the farm as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, we're, I'm a partner with um, our business, Flora & Co. Um, and so do the office work. But what I, yeah, keen to get back out on the ground. Um, I'd love to be driving our truck at harvest, but it's just too hard with a baby to be doing that right now. So yeah, that's not possible. Um, but keen, it's, this is just the phase I'm in. It's the season I'm in and I just have to 
lean into it and because I will regret in 10 years time like rushing it or outsourcing the care so for all the kids or just in this case for Ollie uh no for uh, so I've got um I've got the three kids Ivy's at school she's five and then Jude's three and and Ollie so Jude's in childcare a day a week and then he goes with my mum a day a week as well which is really good and then yeah just Ollie's with me all the time but I've managed to get a babysitter for for a few meetings um yeah for panel which is really good so not in the room anymore well I think what's really cool is that one you're just finding a way to work around it but two that the world's changing going you know what like we actually want Lou in the room so mm. what it's going to take to get Lou involved yes. is we need to actually be more accommodating and know yes breaks, et cetera. and be like aggressive with it because it was um it was it was John Bennett previous panel chair who offered the position and it was um he said it goes never the right time it's never the right time and in my mind if you get offered that kind of opportunity it's like a dishonor to the women before you that didn't get to do it so you do it and and you do things with a baby so we had panel uh tour last year and just saying my friend Prue um I loved being at Longren on college in front of all those girls with a baby on panel because you can't be what you can't see yeah how cool <laughs> yeah I love it. I think we're going to cover so much about women in ag. But first up, I thought I'd do this in a slightly different way. We're ask all of our guests on the GRDC in Conversation podcast the same five. And I thought it'd be an easy way to get to know you, but I feel like we'll just get, that, that's going to unravel anyway. So, but let's cover it. What is your favorite grain-based dish? Well, I have put thought into this and I've actually brought it for you. It is, it's upstairs in my handbag. It's a loaf of um, sourdough bread made by my sister who's a baker. And it's a she-oak she baker is, is her business. And it's um, it's a, a sourdough loaf with grain directly from the farm that she's milled in her in her, in, in her bakery. And you bought it for me as well? I bought your loaf. And it's, it's warm. I picked it up this morning. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, we're probably just going to cut this off here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this... A favourite loaf of bread. Yes. I get to enjoy it. Who yes. would be, let's say three other people can join me to have it. Who would be three people you'd invite? It would be like a coffee table at my house and it would be um, Caleb from Jeremy Clarkson's um, farm. Yeah. Ellen from Jeremy Clarkson's farm as well. Okay. She's awesome. And there's one person missing maybe. <laughs> Who? Jeremy Clarkson. No, I don't want him. Okay. I don't want him. The other person I would get would be a girl, um, a woman called Amy Faye. So she is, she's really cool. And she, I did um, the Australian Future Grain Leadership Program with her about like 10 years ago. And she's running her own business now at Bort in Northern Victoria. And she's a complete rock star. She's got two kids and she's running her own business. Um, and she, I think she would have a hoot. And it'd be coffee, no alcohol. Coffee and like sourdough with like heaps of butter and jam. I want to ask why no alcohol is an explicit point. Oh yeah, so that's I've I've just done fifty odd days alcohol free because not because I'm an alcoholic, but it was becoming a bit of a habit, especially with kids and the stress of kids and and I just was like, what um. 
we just wanted to try it, see what it was like and see what happens. So see what happens to some relationships and then see what happens also in my house. Um, and I found that like my kitchen is cleaner and I found there's a few friends that maybe a lot of the relationship has been about alcohol. So just trying it. There's a bit of a movement as it turns out in no alcohol. It is. Right. It is. And it's, it's such a, I'll say a hard thing where like so much of our interactions are built around. Totally. Crocs. I actually love this. We're having a coffee over it. It's something yeah. which I'm, I'd love to do. People who I've spoken to, like a bloke who I have done, um, podcast on humans about agriculture before mm. with, he actually gives it up for the whole year. Mm. He's saying his job's that demanding mm. that he needs to think clearly. He said mm. the where the biggest advantage he's found besides finding ways to unwind outside of work mm. was giving up the grog has just given him so much. He just feels better. He thinks better. Yeah. People say it's a superpower. Indeed. Indeed. So my, um, I hope this is okay to say on this podcast, but, um, my auntie is Barbara Pocock, who's a green Senator and she has given up alcohol and, um, it's, that's exactly what she says. It's her superpower. She wouldn't have taken on the role as a national Senator for South Australia drinking. It is her superpower. Really? Yeah. There's a challenge. Yeah. It's just okay with me saying that. Of course. Now tell me, what was your first ever job? Milking cows. Okay. At a dairy and I got paid out $8 an hour and I hated it so much. And I did it over Christmas one day, one year. It was over Christmas and New Year's I had to milk cows. Nothing, 12 hour shifts. Nothing like the smell of a dairy oh, to really no. hit those nostrils in summer. Yeah. So that didn't last that long. <laughs> yeah. What's something on your bucket list? Whoa. Bucket list. I, um, it would be travel and I think it would be probably like Eastern Europe travel. Little, yes. Can we say with kids or no kids? Definitely no kids. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. What's a question that you'd like me to ask someone else who comes on the podcast? Yes. Okay. That's a very good question. And I, you, cause you've prompted me with these questions. So I had thought about that and I, I thought a good question would be, in what way have you elevated women in your patch in the agricultural landscape? Wow. What's, what's spurring you on to ask that question? I think it, it's, it's just a thought provoking and to actually make men consider, is that a necessary even, is that necessary even to do now? What's the patriarchy? That doesn't exist anymore. Uh, women in ag, it's equal. Well, it's not. So that's kind of. I'm really curious, like, why are you so passionate about women in agriculture? I don't know. <laughs> Cause I'm what, um, well, obviously I'm a woman in ag and it, it's been a, a, a great ride, but it's not been without its run-ins and, um, I'm, I'm really grateful when I do get given the opportunity equally because that doesn't happen that often. Do you think it's changing? Like in, yes, I would say definitely is changing. It has changed so much. My mum couldn't go to Roseworthy Ag College because she was a woman. So, and then I went to Roseworthy. So there's that. Like, I mean, that's pretty, pretty horrific that, that has taken one generation. But, um, yeah, I, I think it is happening slowly, but 
the big things don't tend to happen now, but there's always these real micro interactions that happen all the time. And it's, yeah, that's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. The little hits. Yeah. Have you, this is something I've only learned recently. Have you come across the women's land army and the story of the women's land army? No. Okay. You're going to have to go and Google it. But in a nutshell, in when the second world war came around, because service in the military was the number one priority for the country, like lots of people involved in agriculture got shipped off. And so what happened, it had been done across uh, the UK and Great Britain, the various, I'll say chapters, but various regions actually began running the farms because Australia needed food security. And so women actually were running farms and ag the agriculture industry, keeping the wheels in motion during the Second World War. And I think it's a part of history which we don't know. And then you fast forward, women weren't allowed to be farmers until 1992 or listed as farmers. But um, yeah, literally in the 1940s, they were running the ag industry. It's fascinating. Check it out. And I think it's bloody still happening. Women do still, like, Andy wouldn't be able to drive a header for 15 hours a day without me supporting that. Mm. I'm not driving the header, but, like, yeah. What's in every business has different every roles business. to keep totally. business moving forward. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, I want to understand about your family business and the little pocket of the world where you yep. grew up. We farm at Lamaroo in the Southern Mallee of South Australia, and we are considered a low rainfall farming district. Um, we have a quite a large portion of our business um, grow, growing out in hay for export, which is it's quite a, it's, it's a little bit different to the status quo in the district. Um, and that's been a really important part of our business for, for risk management, frost mitigation. Um, so we grow export oat and hay plus a range of other crops. Um, just started lentils this year. We've been a bit slow on the uptake on lentils, but they've gone really well. Um, and I farm with my, my parents, my mum and dad, um, Janet and Gary, and my partner, Andy. And we employ Paul Michael, who's my brother-in-law. Um, and we also employ Damon Perks, who's, who's works like a dog. He's brilliant. And um, my sister is also, who, who's married to Paul, She's um, she works remotely. She works for CSIRO at, um, in Adelaide and she works remotely from, from Lamaroo as wow. well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great business. It's a family business. Um, we're having a strategic meeting tomorrow to talk about how harvest went and what could have we what we could have done better, but, um, yeah, no, it's fun. It's good. And it's a different dynamic to most many farming businesses where it is say parents and a son. Yeah. So I'm one of four girls. So there was never, that, that was never a thing in our family. What was it like growing up with the four daughters? Were, were you all the apple of your dad's eye begging to go and hang out? With no, I would say like four, four labor units could have been <laughs> no, we all worked. We all worked and we all loved working on the farm. We went to boarding school, um, which was a really important part for me, for cementing agriculture for me was when I left, I realised how much I wanted to come back. And that was Land. just in high school? Yeah, it was my yeah high school. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And so tell me, like you, you go through high school, was it you wanted to become a farmer? What were you thinking? Yeah, so I went to a private girls' school and it was like, what's agriculture there? Certainly no, um, well, just say, yeah, no, no direction into that industry at all. But 
it, I was so sure. I was so sure that's what I, I wanted to study agriculture and be an agronomist. That that's I had twelve months off after after school and then just went to Roseworthy after that. So yeah, it was yeah, loved just loved ag, loved the biology, loved the science. Yeah, yeah. That's um, it's cool because like especially if if people around you have no idea potentially like well why why on earth would you want to do that if you're so hell bent on mm. I'm doing it it's yeah you must have. I guess a lot of self-assurance, but also self-confidence in how you go. Like I'm doing that because I want it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I, um, it was always what, I, and I, I feel sorry for people that are like, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's like, we will, it'll happen in due course. It's, it doesn't have to be clear when you're 16 or 17, but yeah, no, it was, I, I felt quite clear. Um, yeah, I think my parent, mum has always been really concerned that because we grew up on a farm that that were kind of pushed into agriculture, but I'm like, I don't see it like that. Nah. And amongst your three other sisters now, mm. like what are, what's everyone up to? Yep. So I'm, I'm number two. My older sister, Jo, is a beekeeper at Tintanara in, in the southeast uh, with her part, her husband, Ben, and their four boys. And then there's, there's me and then Bonnie's um, a, a wheat physiologist at CSIRO in Adelaide. Um, in the farming systems team and Gabby is the baker. So she, she's the youngest and she takes the wheat that we grow on our farm and she makes sourdough bread out of it. And, and she's a, a pastry chef as well. So she does amazing pastries and cakes. That is so cool. Do you think, does she have a real appreciation and I guess a determination in where she sees the bakery and I guess the actual food side of ag going because yeah. of that farming influence? For sure. And um, she's always been really um, active in communicating the farm program. So, you know, she will we'll be set, like she'll be posting photos about seeding time, it's harvest time, harvesting the wheat that we're growing our bread, making our bread with. And yeah, she's, she is active as well. And it's interesting, we do also get articles back from her clients saying, well, what, what's this about? What's... Tell me about glyphosate. What are you, does your farm use glyphosate? Tell me about that. So it's a, it is a good way to open the channel of conversation. It's frustrating. Yeah. But it's it's good. Yeah. As a farmer, what have you learned from her side of the business and having such direct, I guess, feedback in terms of what's happening on farm and how it's influencing the use? It's probably the like the same issue that all farmers have, which is all I want to do is communicate the facts. We need glyphosate to effectively control our weeds, to retain our water, to not till our soil for soil structure. You know, it's not that. And then all I want to do is talk about the the um, yeah, the facts. And Gabby has learned really well to tell the story and incorporate the family. And yeah, she's very good at that. She tells it. And I've learned that from her for sure. Yeah. It's a pretty special, like seeing her, I guess, growing a business off the back of what is the family story. So cool. So cool. On her own. She's a trooper. She works so hard. <laughs> oh, this is unreal. I can't wait yeah. to try the bread. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I think it must taste better with the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you you finished school. You went to Roseworthy and, and st- walked out the other side as an agronomist. Yes. Yes. What was it like? Um, My first job as an agronomist was at Cook Plains which is um, next door to the office I worked in was a gypsum mine, so like rock central. And so very rocky, sandy soils, um, but 
it was the best place for me. I throw, really thrived in that environment because it was thrown into the deep end. There were no other agronomists as a store manager and, and his wife worked there at the time, Sandy. And, um, and yeah, thrown into the deep end. This is your desk. And no one showed me where the toilet was. No one said, do this now. This is your job today. This is my, your job tomorrow. And so in that environment, I was like, shit like I this is this is my own I've got to take this and learn the chemicals learn what they do and it was really tough and it was a steep learning curve but it was a really for me it worked it worked well it was good very accepted into the community too put my hand up for secretary of ag bureau and that was a really good thing to do I would encourage people to do that to if that's their first jobs incorporate and integrate into your community as best you can play sport and well, for you as a as a new person, what were the benefits of that? Um, I guess it's yeah, it would be so people see you giving your time so to a to a cause that other than you know you're not getting paid for it, you sort of start to build a relationship with the other growers in the district, and um, it it was just a really good excuse to ring people and talk about things. I'm ringing about Ag Bureau, but oh yeah, like how's, um, how did people go killing that turnip or whatever it was, you know, it's just a good thing to do. Yeah. Another in for the conversation. Another in. Yeah. What led you away from the agronomy world? Babies. <laughs> yeah. Having kids. After, after that first job, I went traveling for a year and then I came back and, and worked for an independent group in the mid North that actually worked from Lamaru. Um, I got pregnant working for that group and could see that wasn't going to work. Um, and so then I started my own business after I had Ivy and that was really cool. It was, it was tough, but it was, it was good. Again, it was, um, the privilege of being able to manage my own business and be taking my kids around. Um, I had a, remember driving around with Brenton, looking at crops one day and Ivy woke up crying. I said, righto, Brenton, you're going to have to drive because I've got to feed the baby. And so he started driving and I, um, so I fed Ivy in the, in the, while we're driving around and he said, I'm, I'm feeling so uncomfortable. And I'm like, I said, it's too, sorry. We, like, we're not stopping. Yeah. <laughs> You've got eggs to do. Sure yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, really, really good. It was, and learned a lot running my own business. That was cool. At what stage did you, you went agronomy, yeah. owning your own business. When did the opportunity come to go back into the family farm and how did that present itself? Yeah. We, um, I met Andy at a GRDC conference, updates conference, and like love, fell in love straight away. And so then um, he and I were doing long, sort of long distance, he he's from Keith and he was working for um, agronomy group at Keith. And then we were, we hadn't, we weren't, hadn't owned our own baler at that point. And so we were thinking like, do we employ someone? Do we, um, what, what are we going to do about this bailing? We want to sort of increase it as a part of our business. And I asked Andy, like, what, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to be a farmer? Like, what do you want to, you know, what's the go? And he said, yeah, you yeah, know, I'd give it a go. And so he moved to Lamaru and started working on the farm on a, on a, um, purely hourly paid basis. There was no promises, no strings, nothing like that. And, um, we said we'd do that for five years 
we'll do it for five years. At the end of five years, we'll see how where, where we're all up to. At that stage, I was still doing the agronomy, but driving the truck at harvest for mum and dad. And then we sort of got to about three years, I think, and we're like, we are, this is it, but we are on the same page. Um, we look, we have a growth focus. We're wanting to grow, we want to buy more land. So um, we said, yeah, stuff it. Let's let's scrap the hourly pay. We're all getting paid, paying a lot of tax, and um, we'll, we'll become a partner and... Yeah, then that Flora and Co came from there. So Andy often gets, uh, Andy is Andy Hunt, but they say, oh, um, hi, Andy Co. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's, and it's been really good. It's really fun. What, what do you think are the, what have been the most enjoyable parts, but also maybe some of the most challenging parts of coming back into the family business? Um, the Probably, I mean, the tough bits is like anyone working with family is, it is such, especially working directly with dad was always tough because it was the layering of the relationship where you're my boss, but you're also my dad. So I'm really trying to please you and, you know, hopefully like get your approval, please dad. But also, yeah, you can't actually yell at your employees like that either. So very, very tricky to navigate working with parents. No, I've got no answers to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best parts are also working with your parents. It's also the same thing. Like when it's good, like this harvest, it, I have watched my dad like be giddy with excitement about it. Been, it's just been a really fun time, really hard, long slog, but it's been really exciting. And that's awesome. Like to get repaid. For the work, the, all the work you did, we had a, like a rip snorting drought last year. So to get repaid for the work, it's so good. It's so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And for him seeing you and I guess as your kids are, are growing up as well. Yeah. Seeing that legacy start to take shape, it's got to be something pretty special. I think so. Yeah. The whole like, um, yeah, why do we work this hard? It's like that we, the answer's there. Like the legacy is created and the business will continue. It's great. I kind of want to ask around your, I'll say it's the succession piece, but <laughs> in terms of how you ended up on the farm and maybe the other sisters didn't, was it an individual choice? We had a meeting many years ago when we were all pretty young and we agreed as a family that if someone wanted to continue the property, that we would all, we all agreed that we would be okay with that. So when it evolved that Andy and I were keen, um, yeah, it, everyone was on board with that. I wouldn't say it's been seamlessly managed and at the end of the day, succession comes down to communication and if communication was easy, we would all do it. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's been seamlessly managed, but at the end of the day, we have Christmas on the farm and my nephews come onto the farm and it's sort of still a part of everyone's life still. So, and it's, and it's the story that Gabby can tell. And I wouldn't say it's not been out without tough conversations. Mm. Yeah. But it's, I think we are all on the same page that we are all glad that this business, this wonderful business that was created by a nurse and a shearer, that it can continue. Absolutely. That's seriously cool. 
do you, do you personally feel like a weight of expectation with the with what comes with having a legacy business? Yeah, don't fail. Don't fail. Um, and also judgment because we have been given this amazing opportunity and this asset not given. We are we are working our asses off to, yeah. to for that asset. Um, but I it doesn't really a day that goes by that I don't find some like maybe a little bit of guilt about um the asset that I have and they'll will be working with into the future. Um and yeah, it's 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 a weird feeling because it's what I want to do, but it's like also like a bit of a loaded feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Guilt's at such, and I found it completely different. When I was working for other people, found guilt was like, oh, I should be doing more. I should be working. Like, littlest thing would be like, oh, mm-hmm. during my lunch break, I'll go and duck down and get a haircut. And I'll be like, oh, what happens if someone walks past? I'll be like, why aren't you working? And oh, it's guilt's like a horrible that. thing. But you say that the word failure. Yeah. What do you actually view as being a failure in this? Um, I would say, oh, what would be failure? Obviously selling the farm would be a failure, a massive failure. Um, oh, biggest, probably more than that would be relationship breakdown with my siblings. Okay. That would be the biggest failure. Yeah. Because that's, that more important. Um, but yeah, the. Oh, and it's it's the the thing tied up with your family where it's like, oh, you, um, I hope you get the approval. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good that family is the, the number one thing. Family is. Pretty but good what, what about that and family is what I'm learning at the moment is I've actually got absolutely no boundaries around that either. So it's I, I never say no to my family or working or delivering dinner or getting that budget done or I just do it. And what happens is my, fr- I don't, I never prioritize my, fr- really fr- prioritize my friendships, which, and some of my, a lot of them are in Adelaide. Um, and yeah, so that's what I'm learning a bit about at the moment is how could I set those boundaries? Yeah. We definitely, you, you know, like what are the things you're wanting to do? That's yeah. surely it's got to be half the way there, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to ask, because you've got a little Ollie as well. So just in terms of what it looks like for you, are you hoping, expecting that you guys, your your parents have absolutely worked their backside off to build a business, you and Andy continuing and building on that? Do you have an expectation or a hope of what that your next generation will do? I would definitely not say expectation. Mm -hmm. I would never expect them to continue it because I think each generation that goes by says, I'm never going to work as hard as my parents. And I said it, but it was fair because it was, I just got back from a 12 month holiday overseas and dad had me pulling fly blown lambs for him and we're treating them. And it was like 50 degrees in the shearing shed. And I said, I am not working this hard when I'm 55. Like, and bloody mum holds it against me every time, every time. But, um, so you just started having kids earlier. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So no, I no expectation. No, you know, I just haven't even thought about that, Ollie. I haven't even thought about because we are so in the thick of it with um working hard. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, and juggling household and everything else that comes with it. Yeah. This the women in agriculture piece, which you touched on at the beginning. Has there been someone who's been really influential or inspirational for you? Um as a woman in agriculture? Yes, but they aren't the ones that you would think that they would be the inspiration. It would be people like Kate Burke, who's a legend. Yeah. Kate Wilson, like trailblazers. Um, and people not in the ag industry that I can think of. Like I'm, I've got a really great network of strong women in my family. My aunts are really, and my mum and my grandma was really really powerful and strong. She used to say, um, life is a grindstone. Um, if you, oh, what is it? Life, life is a grindstone. Whether it polishes you or grinds you down depends on what you're made of. And so it was, yeah, just strong, strong women showing examples of leadership in their, in their lives. Yeah. And so, and that sorry, and that's why the whole you can't be what you can't see. I think that's what, what drive motivates me to do it now for women younger than me. Yeah. And in terms of those ag influences, the Kates and your mum, mm. what is it about them that you really love and I guess draw from them? Um. Um. What do I love about? It uh, is a hard thing to distill down. Probably, I've got no doubt Kate would have had a hard time in ag industry. Like she, there's not many women her age, she's not old, sorry Kate, doing <laughs> what she does. She, she's amazing. Um, she just bloody got on and did it anyway. Like the power and the strength of that, of just getting on with, she's so passionate about the ag industry. Um, and, and my mum's the same. She, um, she, all she wanted to be was a farmer, couldn't go to Roseworthy. So she had to go and be a nurse. She hated it. Like just follow what the thing that is that you want to do. And that's probably like saying at the end of school, I was like, I'm doing ag. That's just like, that's what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah. Maybe a bit like pig headed, like pig headed of me. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Determined and having clarity yeah. is a pretty good thing. Yeah. Don't waste energy on the things that don't matter. Well, no, this is, my grandfather said, you make a decision and you murder the alternatives. That's what you're doing. That's brutal. And move forward. Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I don't mind it actually. Did you, like, has it been a conscious decision you moving? So you're saying around that you can't be what you can't see. You've had plenty of strong women who have exemplified that in different areas. Do you make a conscious decision or did you fall into this area, I guess, of being a female leader in agriculture? Um, it would be a conscious, I'd say conscious, a conscious decision. In 2012, when I got back from traveling, I was in the car with a client at um, Peniche, like just over the Victorian border. And I was well, going around, I was going around with Wayne and we're looking at crops and, and Bianca, his partner, came with us. And she had printed off all of the tech notes on the varieties they were growing. 
and we were talking, oh, Mace, yeah, okay. Mace, oh, I was like, shit, what is the CCN rating for that? And she goes, oh, it's, um, it's MR. I'm like, oh. And she goes, but what is CCN? Like, what is, like, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, great opportunity to talk about that. But so I thought she was like my, um, my, the, the seed in my mind that like, and then I, so then I thought this, I bet there's group, like women like this all over the place. So then I got a grant, applied for a grant from GRDC for grassroots women in agro, grassroots agronomy for women in agriculture. And that was, I was, that was about me, like how could that not be a good thing? Educating women who are often professionals in their own fields who ended up by circumstance on a farm, how could it not be a good thing that they knew what they were looking at in the paddock? So that was a pretty conscious choice to sort of educate, I guess, women in the agronomy field. And actually that taught me that, wow, working with women is actually way more fun than all these blokes that I've been working with. Like, this is great. So and good things happen. So what are the messages that you would trying to get through so you got the grant yeah what, what are you actually trying to get them to walk away with off the back of so when they are most of these women were primary carers um as we tend to be in the country um primary carers of young children so when they were doing the crop drive when they um were walking down the bus stop they could have a look and say that's not right or there's a lot of turnip in that crop because we had this some. Um, everyone got like allocated a disease and a weed and they had to present to the group on that weed and disease. And it was really amazing. So their partners would help them to choose, like say, bring a sample in of that weed and then show this weed and it was like the wrong weed. So they didn't know either. So it was, um, that was amazing. That was so funny. And then, and then also, yeah, it was like, um, also I remember talking with one group because it, it rolled on. Like I went to, the mid north, um, and did it there. And we we're talking about um, fertilizer and DAP is um, like eighteen twenty, and th that means there's eighty percent nitrogen, twenty percent. And a far it was it was smoko time, and the the main farmer who was a man was there, and he said, "Is that what those numbers mean?" It's like, oh my god, wow, yeah, it's just this, um, yeah, knowledge gaps everywhere, and women who think they know nothing like the guys are faking it they pick it up like that yeah so they that that was the point that was that's not right so yeah and maybe tell someone yeah and so have you as you've seen more women coming through growing their knowledge like why why are you loving that in the position you're in now within the grand industry um it might have given them the confidence to pursue something else, which I've seen a bit of. Perhaps, like, that's me taking credit maybe for something that I shouldn't take credit for, but um, maybe being with that group and that connection with that other person meant a good thing, a good thing happened because of that, or they put their hand up for a position on something. They could have a conversation about, um, like, what Box of Gold was doing in their paddock. Yeah. That's cool. Participating in the planning session at at um, seeding time. And having actual input. Yeah. Or keeping up. Yeah. Keeping up with the conversation. I know what your ear is now, like type thing. You know, I know actually that's 46% nitrogen. That's so cool. Hmm. Yeah. 
Another question, and I guess it's starting to look ahead, but say in the next 10 years, we there's plenty, there's more women now getting involved in professional development courses. There's more women graduating from ag science degrees at certain universities than blokes. So this changing of the guard is happening. Absolutely. And I think that the challenge is how do we get, when women get to the stage, I guess, of mid-level, mid-career management while then juggling families, et cetera. Yeah. Once we overcome that, then the industry in Australia is going to shift for the better. But when you look, say, 10 years down the track, mm. what excites you about this tide and the opportunities that are being created for women? What I would say about that is it's not so much what excites me about that, but I think what is going to take for that change to happen is men elevating women and like headhunting them to be in positions of influence. Um, I was, I was, um, I don't want to say lucky. Like I worked really hard and in a, um, in a meeting, a GRDC meeting, um, was a panel. It was, um, a regional, regional cropping solutions meeting. And that John Bennett sought me out and said, I would love you to be on panel. And I, I had a three month old. I was like, John, it's just the timing is shit. I can't, I can't do it. And he goes, the timing's always shit. It's always not going to work. He goes, I really want you. And he got 50% gen, he got his gender equity on, on his panel. Um, so I think it's, it's not up to women. The women are there. The women are skilled. It is about men not choosing someone that looks like them to take on the positions of influence. Mm -hmm. And that's when I get excited. Like if you, if you are a guy and you see bad behavior, if you aren't calling it out, then you're part of the problem. Like if, if you're not doing that at least, um, yeah, take a look in the mirror. When it comes to the advice, like a really good chance to give some advice. I think you've done that in terms of see bad behavior, call it out. What other advice would you give to people when it comes to lifting others up, especially well, in this case, lifting women up and elevating them into those opportunities like John did for you? Mm. Well, for women, I would say like ag is not perfect and it is not, you aren't going to dismantle the patriarchy in your lifetime, but you take, take the opportunities like you owe it to the sisterhood to take the opportunity. If you are given the opportunity, you should take it. And, and, and I know, unfortunately it's just, it is a bit harder. It is just a bit harder to, to do that. Like I was juggling at six o'clock this morning, trying to get to my panel meeting, bloody saw Andrew Russell panel chair going for a lovely walk. It's just, unfortunately that's, it's really hard to, to, there is no solution. We haven't found a solution yet. Mm. Um, and that's why we're still here talking about it. Just the, the constant juggle. Yeah. It's really hard. And so off the back of that, I guess, what are you, what are you grateful for right now with the opportunities? And I think GRDC is kind of one which has come in to your life where you've created opportunities for others with the grants program. May have met a future husband, at least a father <laughs> to you two, a turned a business partner. Yeah, but it's not, I'm, I'm not married. No. <laughs> and now on this, uh, on the panel. So yeah, well, what? What's kind of great about all of that? Um, it's great to have um, influence. 
in the direction of research, of course, um, that's a really great thing. For my business, it's really good to make the connections with other panel members to um, like, how are you doing this? How will you manage your work health safety? Learning all that stuff's really cool. Um, learning the, um, the, the system, like the, the system of, and the policy and how GRDC is behind the scenes and learning, um, yeah, how to make change, I guess. You can't just keep whinging about it. Like you've actually got to be a little bit proactive. And I've seen people on panel do that really well where they see a problem and they provide a solution and it's, um, it's like hunky dory. It's great. Seeing, yeah, that's, it's, it's a great networking opportunity and it's so good that we've got, we've got, we don't quite have gender equity on panel, but we've got, I think we've got four and six and, um, we were at dinner last night and it was actually at, um, a staffer's house and his wife said, I just expected this to be a room full of men. Like, oh, no. <laughs> the no, girls. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Say yes. Just say yes. Oh, one final question. And it's something which I ask lots of people, but, um, I'm interested in your take on it. So if you get the chance to go down and talk to a room full of your 10 students, you know, in Adelaide about the opportunities in Australian agriculture, we can make it specific to the grand industry. You get the chance to talk to them. Um, if I was sitting in that crowd, what would you be saying to me about the opportunities in ag and why someone should pursue it? Um, I would love that opportunity, especially in a private girls school to do that because me telling you that, like, I, you already know ag's a great industry, don't you? Like it's an echo chamber, but, um, yeah, I would, I'd love to say there are so many opportunities in ag and it is not all about wearing boots and it's not about getting your hands dirty. Um, so many opportunities, so much diversity in the field It is growing. Um, it's exciting. And that is something we have not told the broader community. We were not told that story very well about what opportunities there are. Um, so it's not, it's not an easy field. Um, it's getting better for women, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, but it just be authentic, try and be your authentic self, which can be really hard in a, in a room full of people that don't look like you, but, um, yeah, just try, um, but yeah, be yourself, try and be authentic. And if you can't do that, just try it every now and then to be authentic. It's, it's very, um, very easy to fall into the what people expect of you in ag which is like yeah I drink beer I can talk football yeah totally I can do all that that blokey world and just kind of like I'm now like mid-30s and I just don't want to do that anymore yeah I like it well yeah I guess lastly Lou thank you so much for having a chat and I think there's been several different people that we're chatting to as part of the GRDC in conversations and I guess for me as well just in my life of the different people I come to in ag and it's whether it's your story resonates with one other person and they go and take action off the back of it. Like, I think it's just this flow on impact. And so all the work you're doing at home on the farm for yourself and your family and workers and everyone else, but also to the extra things and being visible to women, especially young women coming through agriculture is 
really inspiring. So and, young, you. and young men. Like I, I have, I've been talking all about women, but it's also really important for young men and my sons to see it happening. Mm. Yeah. And I think there is. I think the, the wave yeah, is coming. I agree. I think it is too. Thanks for joining us for the GRDC In Conversation podcast. This series is a GRDC investment that's sharing the stories of the people who are living and breathing the Aussie grains industry. Make sure you check out some of our other conversations and hit follow on your favourite podcast app to never miss an episode.